Welcome to the Solo City Church Podcast, a podcast for the glory of Jesus and the edification of the church. The following is a recent sermon from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We hope you enjoy. How's it going, everyone? Man, I don't know how you follow that. I don't know how I'm going to follow that. The beauty is that it's the Lord doing the work, you know? And when we proclaim His excellencies, when we sing to Him, when we come before Him and kneel before Him, He meets us. When we admit our weakness, we see His strength. Yes. Yes. Today, um, it's a real honor for me to speak today for a couple of reasons. Um, as some of you guys know, I was nominated a couple of weeks ago as uh, an elder. So I'm in the nomination kind of testing process. And uh, man, that has just been uh, so good. Such a, um, a sweet time to just really press into the Lord. And honestly, just like I said, uh, see my weakness. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, there's been no clearer state for me than the last month of just seeing my inadequacy. And uh, one thing that the Lord gave me that was just so sweet, <clears throat> Second Timothy 1. The God who saved us called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is the verse that the Lord gave me to decide to pursue eldership truly, because I know that it's not my personal works by any means. Very inadequate. But the Lord has given a holy calling. I feel it. And... He's given us a holy calling today, and that's what I'm here to share. Not just elders, but each of us as being redeemed and regenerated in him. So our text today is in 1 Peter. Let's dive right in. Let's uh, let's read through it here. You help me out, Tyler? All right, awesome. You guys can turn there. It's after James. For the rest of you heathens, you can use your phones. (laughs) As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Lord, we come before you this morning opening your scripture to have you speak to us, not me. To have your spirit so convict us and so drive us to our knees to realize our weakness and our need for you. And that how we are just made strong by you and by your work, how we are built on this foundation, God. We each need that realization, God. We need that. I pray that eyes would be open today, ears would be open to hear, Lord, your word, God. Your word. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Cool. So I think it's really important that we start with context. I'm a big context guy. 
where is this placed in First Peter? I know we've been in First Peter for like, I don't know, a year now, probably another couple years after this. Praise God. Um, but it's important to remind ourselves where we are. So at the very beginning of First Peter, he's coming to, or he's writing a letter, Peter is, to Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I think I pronounced that right. And he's calling uh, the people there as exiles of the dispersion. He uses this capital T and D for that, the dispersion. And when I was first kind of reading through this years ago, my assumption was that this exile was actually like a physical state, right? Like that they were pushed out. If you guys know your history, like uh, Nero, when he came into Rome, into power, uh, I think like half or more than half of Rome burned down and he blamed the Christians and there was insane persecution for Christians. They were dispersed. But this is actually years before that. And in a way, a preparation for the people before that, even though this is um, specifically to the people of Pontius, Galatia, and Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. But I think it's really important to start here and remember that when he says exile, what he's really meaning is our heart posture before the Lord. That when we, um, when we soak in the Spirit, when we, when we realize who God is, that our heart is in this position of exile, knowing that this place is not our home. And when we remember that this isn't just a physical exile that they're going through, we can connect even more so to the scripture. So when I was going through it and studying it, I was just like, man, he's speaking and encouraging them in the same ways that we need that same encouragement. Yeah. Not to say that some of us might not hit times of crazy suffering or being exiles on the mission field or something like that. But it's our heart posture before him of saying, this is not my home. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's reminding the people what it looks like to live in a world that's not their own in a state of being exiles. And another important thing that I want to add to uh, in the context is Peter, all through the first chapter and throughout the book of 1 Peter, is connecting the new church to the people of Israel. This is important because he's speaking largely to Gentiles. And previous to this, God was the God of Israel, of, a, of an ethnic people. But what he's doing by doing this is he's giving value and dignity to their, uh, to their conversion, ultimately. He's writing to mostly Gentiles who are trying to figure out what it means to be part of the church of Christ. And up to this point, as Gentiles, all they've got to look to is Israel, their religions, their tradition, and the big cornerstone, their temple. I mean, how many times through the Old Testament are there just campaigns upon campaigns to, like, the temple got destroyed. Let's go rebuild it. Let's make it better. You know, like, this happens, and they know the focal point of this temple. And I love this text because he uses imagery of cornerstones, of living stones, because they could connect to that. They could say, yeah, okay, I get it. Like the temple where God dwells. So it's very important that, that we understand that when he's speaking to the church there, that they're Gentiles, just like us, grafted in, adopted. <coughs> to recap a little bit of what Alex has been going through, um, and a few others, Tyler and Matthew, um, for the last few weeks, <clears throat> let's back up just a little bit. Um, I don't think it'll be on the screen, but I'm just going to read it. Uh, at the end of 1 Peter 1, 23, it says, All flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like a flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever, and the word is good news, was the good news that was preached to you. 
So what he's saying in this and what we were, what Alex shared on this is that the life's best glories, careers, houses on the lake, are going to wither and fade. And we have to live in a posture of realizing as exiles where true glory is to be found. Right after that, he goes into, so put away malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. He's calling out specific ways of former, um, former flesh-like glories that we have yeah. and saying, put, in, put it away. And long for spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk, it says, that by it you may grow up and into salvation, grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's what we, we heard in the call to worship. So good. So he's encouraging them. He's trying to say to them, okay, put this away. This is what it means to be in exile. Put it away. And long for pure spiritual milk. And then we get to our text today. Let's read it again. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. As we consider the context of 1 Peter, I think it's very safe to say that Peter is defining what it looks like for a Christian to be on exile in this world, what our lives should look like, as both a model for us to, to lay out and pursue in an actuated state. What I mean by that is when we believe on the Lord, when we realize who he is, there is a state that we are holy priests. We are brought into a spiritual house at that moment. But it's not something that we sit in and stay in. It's something that we pursue. One of the biggest things, uh, Alex, and just some of the eldership stuff that I've been going through, week one, was eldership is not a state that you achieve. It is a continual state of growing. You've never gotten there. That is the same for us in this holy calling as holy priests that we've never fully gotten there. We always keep our eyes on the vision that the Lord has set forward specifically in this text today to know what we're called to and how we should respond in this land of exile. So the crux is that Christ, though, has provided the foundation for this growth. He's given us the calling, and he's given us the ability and the foundation to grow into that calling. He enables us to uh, achieve the calling, this holy calling. My dad and I were actually talking yesterday and he said, that is grace. Grace is enablement. That was so good. By grace we are saved by faith, right? Enabled to have faith is grace. So let's dig into this a little bit. Let's break it down. All right, starting right in verse, verse four. We're gonna stop after five words. As you come to him. So this is not just a state of a singular instance of I've come to him, I said a prayer once. This is a continual coming to him. And it's not to minimize our initial state of believing upon the Lord and the initial work that he does. But it is so key to this text because it says, as you come to him, and if you skip the commas, which is a little interjection in the gazillion run-on sentences Peter has, it says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up. It's a precursor to this. 
One of my favorite things uh, Paul Washer says is, we know that we are in the faith, not because we repented once, but we've repented every day since. Amen. I told you I would slip in the Paul Washer quote every, every sermon. There it is. It's yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There is a state of abiding in him that is the only way that we can realize the foundation and achieve the growth that he's calling us to. I think one of my favorite instances of this is John 15. Danielle's actually written a song about it. It says that he is the vine and we are the branches. It says that those that don't abide in the vine are cut off. It's scary. Mm -hmm. If we don't produce continual fruit, which by the way is only produced by abiding in the vine, we're cut off. We have to abide. That is a continual state of coming alongside and abiding with him. What it does is it really beckons us, this continual state, to not settle for former glories. To not settle for this state of achieving something once. I've been justified before God. That is amazing. That is amazing that you've been justified. But we don't settle there. Paul talks about glory to glory. Amen. Can't be satisfied with it. We have to see clearly the vision that God has put on us, a holy calling as a holy priesthood. I think it's really worthwhile saying in this is that us being indwelled by God is the new temple. In Haggai uh, 2.9, I love how it says this. It says, the latter glory of the house shall be greater than the former. This is the Lord of Force hosts, and in this place I will give peace. In Haggai, right before this verse, they're talking about, okay, well, this new, the you know, the rebuild of the temple, it's not going to be as glorious as it was before. And he's saying, no, no, the latter is going to be better than the former. What does he say? I'll make it a place of peace. Peace between God and man. The enmity that we had between between us and the Father before Christ is gone away. There is peace. We are the new temple of God. And we are the fulfillment of that prophecy. All right, next. He goes on to say, A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You, yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So here we know that we, as living stones, are modeled after Christ, who is the ultimate living stone. He's the cornerstone, it says when he quotes Isaiah. We, like Christ, are viewed as chosen and precious. Gentiles, this is what I was saying in the beginning, right? He's giving worth and value to them as Gentiles. Yeah, I know you're not ethnically a Jew, that you're not from Israel or one of the tribes, but you are grafted in Given the likeness of Christ, being modeled after him, chosen and precious. And it says, as living stones. Lost my spot. Sorry. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. We, to be built up into the spiritual house, are alive. We are reborn. It's the reason he uses the word living. We are growing. We are not stagnant. I mean, I think reborn and rebirth, which we see all through the New Testament, is one of the most drastic terms that we can use for saying something before, even though it's the same body, look this way, is no longer 
that way. It's a new creation that we are made into. That's what we have as believers in Christ. We are a new creation with a spirit in us that calls out, Abba, Father. Amen. Yeah. We are living and growing not to just settle in former glories. Yeah. Hmm. <coughs> now, so let's take a look at what it means right after this to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices inside a spiritual house. So the first one he mentions right off the bat, I love the prominence given to it. The spiritual house. This is the church. It says stones, plural. What does this mean? This means that we, I go, sorry. <clears throat> we are built inside of the community of God. One of my favorite uh, lines on this, I'm just going to quote it because paraphrasing wouldn't do it justice. Matthew Henry says, the church of God is a spiritual house. The foundation of Christ it is a house for its strength, its beauty, variety of parts, its usefulness of the whole. It is a spiritual foundation founded in Jesus Christ. In its materials, spiritual persons. In its furniture, the graces of the Spirit. In its connection, it's being held together by the Spirit of God and by one common faith. And in its use, which is spiritual work is to offer up spiritual sacrifices. This house is built up daily, every part of it improving in the whole, supplied in every age by the addition of new particular members. Our growth is interdependent, fully independent on our <coughs> abiding within the church that he builds us into. This is where we find sound teaching, doctrine, encouragement, accountability. Ultimately, our growth is found inside of the church, not to make it up as some religious structure, but to hold fast to the faith and, and the doctrine carried down for thousands of years. It is the only reason we are not in a perverse view of Christianity is because the church has maintained the standard of scripture yeah. and as elders are faithfully declaring it and at times rebuking if necessary. The church is the entrance way for new believers into the kingdom of God. So what he says at the end. Every age, it's being carried forward by the addition of new particular members. It's the entrance way for new believers into the kingdom of God. And the entrance way isn't in us individually. It's in us as a whole. We welcome new members into the community. Under the kingdom of God that reigns on this earth, there's the community, the children of God. And then there's those that don't believe. And we beckon and we call for them to believe and to come into the community. To live in the encouragement that is the community. In the sound doctrine. In the building up of our faith. And ultimately as living stones. This is one reason we really take church membership seriously here. There's specific text, even in the New Testament, that's like scary to say, of expelling unrepentant members. Because of, their, because of the ultimate need for the church to keep a standard of holiness. When we invite new elders or deacons in, it reflects on the church, it reflects on Christ. We take it seriously. But the beauty of all this is that the entire weight of the church, all the way from its governance down to its members, is built on Christ. And the weight rests on him. He builds his church, he maintains his church. All right, more on that later. <clears throat> Holy priesthood. Let's move forward to this. Being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. 
What does this mean? The, whole, the priests were the ones that were able to have communion with God. They could enter the veil, right? They could experience his presence and make sacrifices for the people. They taught the people, but ultimately they communed with God in a way that others couldn't. We know that through Christ that veil was torn. We have communion with God, and as we daily come to him, again, when we come to him continually, we have communion with him. And he calls us to a holy living, a sanctified life, and that's not just purity. We hear holiness, and we think purity. It's being set apart. It's being set apart for his service. That's what it means. Ultimately, the priests were dedicated. Their lives were dedicated to his service. This is not, again, a call just to elders or deacons. We, as individual members, are called to be a holy priesthood. We are called to be dedicated to him. Our life is in service to him. And ultimately, the priests lift up sacrifices what he says next to offer up spiritual sacrifices and these sacrifices are no longer necessary for the sake of sin and they're ultimately not acceptable that's what he says here he says our spiritual sacrifices are made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ we don't come with works we don't come with a lamb to slaughter because of our sin because the ultimate lamb was slaughtered for our sins There is no obligation in the sacrifices. There is only a loving desire from a changed and regenerated heart. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, our spiritual sacrifices, what does that word mean, right? It's kind of like a a phrase that we probably don't want to define because it means our whole lives. We ultimately lay our lives on Alex said it in worship that our spiritual sacrifices are our heart's One commentator said, these sacrifices are spiritual in contrast to the material sacrifices prescribed in the Old Testament sacrificial system. Such sacrifices are seen both in the Christian's worship and in their pattern of living. What does that mean? Specifically, it's our bodies. It's our souls. It's our affections, our praises, our alms, our giving, our money, and all of our duties. I want you to to hear that. All of our duties. Why? Because all of our duties become spiritual when they are done to the glory of God. They become spiritual. Works before that were works righteousness, are works done no longer out of obligation, but out of the love and glory to God. That is our heart posture. Every one of Christ's duties on earth, ultimately his sacrifice, was done to the glory of God. Think about that. He was dedicated to this service. This is waiting. This should be waiting. <laughs> because when I look at this, my duties aren't all done to the glory of God. Uh, every change diapers to the glory of God, I can tell you that. <laughs> Especially after sweet potatoes. <clears throat> but my hope is that these requirements that he's laying out of our holy calling, that they're waiting. That they sit on you guys. That as I'm saying this, you're thinking, am I continually abiding in him? Have I come before him even this week? Have I opened the life and seen the life that is in the scriptures? Am I pulling away from community or am I embracing the church? 
the beauty in this, the beauty in working our faith and fear and trembling, like we've said, is seeing the other side, the grace that is given to know that we're able to accomplish this holy calling only through the completed work of Christ. This is the point, again, that I made in the beginning. If you take nothing else away, this is it. That Christ has provided the foundation for our growth. This is the ultimate point. That we couldn't achieve our current state as being saved, but we can't achieve our continual state of being continually saved. Our sanctification cannot be achieved by our own works. It's only by Christ. Just like our initial state of justification is only by Christ. He is the foundation of all this. He is the cornerstone. And one of my favorite things is when you look back, I think it's Isaiah 28, to the original text that Peter is quoting. There's an additional element that he adds in there when he talks about the cornerstone. He says, in here, he says, chosen and precious. In Isaiah, he says, chosen and precious and tested. What has it been tested by? Thousands upon thousands of fathers in the faith have tested him. Matthew Henry says again, he's a tried stone, and we know this because not one single saint has ever fallen who's truly tested him. We're not going to be put to shame, says it right here. In Isaiah, it says that we won't have haste, meaning we're not going to run around busying ourselves trying to achieve something because we know that Christ has achieved it for us. We also know that he is a trying stone. He serves as what's called a touchstone, which determined true from counterfeit. This is where we see at the end. Some are going to stumble over this stone. It'll be a rock of offense. That those that truly lean on him are going to be found out, true or counterfeit. It's the reality, but guess what? The honor is to those who believe. That's what it says here. That we can rely on the true stone. And when we touch him, our faith is made evident of what it is in. It's not the, the quantity we say of faith. It's, it's the quality. What is the object of our faith? When it's built on the cornerstone, it's tried. And when we touch it, it's true. And we are found true because of it. These are pretty much the two things that's going to happen when you touch the cornerstone. He's either going to provide the foundation layer for our growth and never fail us, or he's going to be a stone of stumbling. I hope you're the former. I beg you to call upon him. All right, so let's look at ways that Christ has achieved this for us. His life on earth was the model. This is where we're starting. He lived a life as a holy priest, ultimately. He was perfect. Never sinned, right? Learning this in, in Sunday school, completely holy. He instructed others at the age of 12. <laughs> and ultimately, he had constant communion with the Father. He modeled what it looked like. As the disciples slept, he was before the Father in prayer. We sleep on Friday mornings sometimes, but he calls us to prayer. And ultimately, he lived a life of offering spiritual sacrifices. Everything he did was to the glory of God. And his life was laid down as the ultimate spiritual sacrifice, right? It's modeled for us and continually beckons you from, from the New Testament, just saying, lay your life down. Paul says, to die is gain. 
living in this posture because he provided the sacrifice that saved us. And it's through this sacrifice is the only way we're able to achieve actual life, eternal life, and a life that grows as a living stone. He modeled it, showed us how to lay down our life, and he put death to death. It's a good John Mark McMillan song about that. He paved the way for us to have victory over the flesh. And one of my favorite um, scriptures on this, Hebrews 2.14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one that has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That is our life before Christ. It is in subject to lifelong slavery of the fear of death. Trace all of our fears outside of the fear of God to the root and its death. I'm scared to, you know, preach to someone at my work. What's going to happen? You know, your boss is going to hear about it, fire you, don't have a job, you end on the street, you uh, get sick and you die, right? Like that is the end result. (laughs) Carries all the way down. It is death at the core that we fear, but in contrast, we're giving the fear of the Lord. That's what we trade it for. That's what Christ has traded it for. And there's ultimately victory over death because we know he's put death to death. That we don't have to fear it because we, another Paul Washer quote, are made immortal on this earth until Christ decides we're not. That's right. But that's sink in. Ultimately, his resurrection proved the victory that we now share in. His resurrection proved, as we sang today, that he was worthy. Because if he wasn't worthy, he would have died and been in the tomb to this day as a heap of ashes. That's what would have happened. But the stone was rolled away, and he ascended. We have faith that in our ultimate victory, that his ultimate victory over the enemy gives us ultimate victory over that. That we share in that as living stones, as being modeled after him. We have victory over the flesh because of his life that is in us. So when we look at these things, when we look at what it means to be a holy priest, built in a spiritual house, and our flesh runs the opposite way, he's given us victory over the flesh. He has. If we'll continually come to him. When we come to him. After his ascension, he sent the spirit that sanctifies us. John 16. I'm going to skip around in here a little bit. Nevertheless, it starts in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I'm going to skip to 13. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but that which he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. The Holy Spirit is in us. When we are saved, he dwells in us. He is the one yearning, calling out for God, in times when our flesh are running the opposite way, is running to Christ. He's the voice in your head that is saying, get up and pray, stop sleeping. He's the voice in our head that says, don't care and raise my hands in worship and bow my heart. He's the one when we argue with our wives that says, put down your pride. Put it down. Be reconciled. When I have all against my brother, I'm going to go to him. 
that I'm going to realize my place in this, in the sin that's in me, and I can humble myself. He convicts us, he brings us continually to the Father, and praise the Lord for that, because he declares what the Father has done through the Son, ultimately glorifying the Son. Thessalonians 2, another great piece of this, verse 13, uh, chapter 2, 13. But we all always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you. There it is again, as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He sanctifies us. He's the one that makes the church living, that we're able to grow because he sanctifies us. And when Christ left, he sent the Spirit to do that. He makes another great call here. Later in the verse, it says, um, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory. There it is again. The glory of Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that were taught to us, either by spoken word or by letter. It's another call for the church here, ultimately. Because we're taught and the traditions are preserved by this church, delivered by the elders in the spiritual house. The community of God is that church. He's the head of the church. He's the cornerstone or otherwise translated the headstone. That's what it says. The church is founded, guided, and maintained by Christ. This is incredible news to Alex. Incredible news. We're called to shepherd it, but he calls, he builds, he maintains. When our sheep go astray, he ultimately breaks the leg in their heart and drags them back. He's the ultimate shepherd, and he leads us to still waters because he cares for his church. And last, he intercedes for us. Jesus didn't go to heaven. This is very important. After his ministry on earth and take a break from his internal role as the shepherd. No, he's still very active on our behalf. And as the devil accuses us before the Father, you see this played out in Job, We know that God always sees his children for the perfect righteousness of Christ because Christ is there as a defense lawyer almost who's interceding on our behalf and the accusations fall on deaf ears because of Christ's work. We don't really know how this plays out in our life. We don't know what it looks like. We don't even know at times when our brothers are praying for us how it affects us. But we know that the holy priest, the holy ultimate priest, is interceding on our behalf daily. Every moment, every second, before the Father, rejecting the accusations of the devil. This empowers us to the calling, to this holy calling. Try to wrap it up here. Pretty much what I want us to have, what I want us to take away as a body is to be reminded of what we're called to. What our actuated state is, our realized state that we have right now, but ultimately that we don't stop in that. That we are constantly working towards this calling of a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices inside of a spiritual house. Because we are built into that house. He's called us to a holy priesthood. And more importantly, I want you to know that Christ is the foundation for that growth. That when you realize that your flesh is weak, yep, your flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. My flesh is weak. He is the firm foundation. He modeled his life on how we should model ours. He provided 
the grace for us to live the life that we're called, and he is constantly interceding for us, the only one worthy of glory. He is the good news. He is the good news. And man, for me, just knowing that he's interceding for us, and that's not my work, has been just such a comfort in this elder nomination process. I feel constantly inadequate, but I know that we're all inadequate for our calling. He provides the adequacy. We're to follow through on that calling. That's what we're given to do. And the band can come now. I don't know. We can do a band. He's our only firm foundation. And we've been built on him. And if we're not built on him, we're not going to stand ultimately. So if you're feeling stagnant right now, if you've forgotten your calling, if you are treating your faith with flippancy, or if you've removed yourself from community, if you've trusted in yourself again, trying to justify your sin, ultimately actions that are no longer acceptable, non-spiritual sacrifices, or seeking growth in a withering flesh, this is the call to you. This is good news. Christ has provided the way. He is the tested and firm foundation that we can lean on. We can trust it not to waver. We can trust to be built up if we continue to come to him. This is the most important part right in the beginning. Continue to come to him, guys. Continue to bow your knee before him. And if you've never trusted in him, if you don't truly know, if you believe, I beg you to call on his name. I'm positive that your current foundation will falter. It'll crack, either here or in eternity. One of the two. See your need for him and trust in him. Because he will justify you from your sins and grow you into a holy priesthood. Build your life on the chosen and precious cornerstone. That's you today. Come speak to me. Tyler and I will be over here. We'll pray for you. We will pray and intercede for you. Because the Father's already interceding for you right now. All right, let's pray. Lord, we bow our knee. We bow our heart. And we come to you again. We come to you asking that you would do the work in us. That you would help us fulfill this holy calling that we have realize that we're weak, that we would joyfully accept our weakness in this. Know that you are worthy of the calling to to uphold us, to bring us to the state that we need to be. God, you are so good. Do the work we can't do. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jenny. We're going to turn to communion on the Lord's Supper. This is something that for you Thank you for listening to the Solo City Church podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and empowered to follow Jesus more than you ever have before. For more information about our church, please visit solocitychurch.com.